I pray and ask the Lord to bless His Word to us. Lord Jesus, we thank You so much for giving us Your Word, and I pray for Your encouragement this morning. We need You. We need You to speak to us, and we ask that You would. And I pray that we as Your people, that we would be listening, prepared, willing, ready to hear Your voice to us. So, Lord, we ask that you would speak in your most precious and wonderful name. Amen. Amen. I want to begin by asking you this morning, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Because all of us are afraid of something. In fact, over the last two years, I think we have been trained and equipped for one thing, and that is fear. We've been trained and equipped to be afraid. There's many different things we've been afraid of over the last two years, but one of the things I think we are particularly afraid of right now, if I were to guess right now, what some of us are afraid of right now in this room, I would guess this, that we have financial fear. It's almost impossible not to have financial fear right now because they're telling us our bills are going to go up, the price of living is going to go up, and what are we filled with when we hear that? We are filled with fear. I have noticed myself switching off switches that I never switched off. I have noticed myself unplugging plugs that were plugged in for years that I never found before, but I've noticed myself doing that. I've noticed, you know, finding out what company am I actually paying my electricity with and my gas with. I never really cared before, but now I do. Why? Because I have, like you, probably, some financial fear. What is this all going to cost us? And so in those times, we can doubt what God is calling us to do. I encourage you before in Proverbs, there's, two, there's loads of questions you could ask about your finances, but two questions are probably take priority for the believer. And the two questions are, am I providing and am I giving? You could ask loads of other questions. Am I saving? Am I entertaining myself? All those things. But I think when it boils down to something, am I providing or am I giving? And when I say, am I providing, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty about that if you're not, but I'm trying to free you up because the reality is one of the biggest bills that you will have in your house is a providing bill for your mortgage or your rent. You have to pay that. That's a reality. So am I providing? And the second reality is, am I giving? Am I giving? You know, am I giving consistently, generously? Am I giving cheerfully? That is between you and the Lord. But what can happen is when financial fear sets in, we can kind of take away from the Lord the things that are due to Him. And so we have to be careful because financial fear is a reality in our life. And the truth is this. Most of us don't just struggle with a fear like financial fear. Most of us struggle with many fears. Fear of the future. Fear for our children fear of the unknown. Many of us struggle with many different fears. It's not just one-dimensional. 
And we need to ask, what am I going to do with that? If I struggle with fear, how am I going to battle against that? And so I want us to look at that this morning. Because you know what the pattern is going to be this morning. And look at this, I've remembered it. The pattern this morning is the same as it's been every single morning. It is going to be sin, then suffering, then sadness, and finally salvation. And what we've seen again and again throughout the book of Judges is this. Sin, suffering, sadness, salvation. Sin, suffering, sadness, salvation. Sin, suffering, sadness, salvation. And it goes around and around and around and around again. And it's not just a cycle. It's actually a downward spiral that God's people keep returning back to their sin, keep returning back around. And so as Dad was reading this morning, what did it tell us? The people did, again, what was evil in the sight of the Lord, their sin. And after that, what happened to the people? They were suffering under the hands of the Midianites. And after their suffering, what did they do? They experienced sadness. They cried out to the Lord. And their crying out to the Lord in sadness isn't always and isn't necessarily repentance. Sometimes you have people crying out to the Lord just because something bad is happening to them. And so they cry out to the Lord, sin, suffering, sadness, and we know what is going to happen. The Lord is going to bring about His salvation. But the question is, how? How is the Lord going to bring about His salvation? Is He going to do it through a left-handed man? Is He going to do it through a guy who has an eight-foot-long stick and a spike at the end of it? Is He going to do it through a woman like Deborah, a wife, a prophetess? How is the Lord going to do it? And I think we could expect the Lord to bring about His salvation in an unexpected way. Do you know what He does? He brings about His salvation through a man who is utterly terrified. Through a man who is very fearful. And yet the Lord chooses him to bring about salvation. Look at verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth of Orphrah, which belonged to Joash the Abersarite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in a winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. So you think, how is the Lord going to bring salvation? The Lord is going to bring salvation finally in a way that we might expect. He's going to do it through the superhero. He's going to do it through the mighty man of valor. That's what the Lord calls Gideon. The mighty man of valor. Except for one thing. I don't think the Lord is calling him who he is. I actually think the Lord is calling him who he will be. Because I don't look at Gideon and say, this is a mighty man of valor. Do you know why I don't look at Gideon and say that? Because where is Gideon at this time? Gideon is in a wine press beating out the wheat. Usually when you would, you know, thresh out the wheat, what you would do is you'd be out in the open 
on a threshing floor out in the open, and you might have some kind of pitchfork or some kind of utensil like that. You would you'd throw it up in the air. You'd throw the wheat up in the air, and, and in the wind, the chaff would blow away, the bad stuff would blow away, and the good stuff would stay. So you had to do that out in the open where there would be wind. Where is Gideon threshing the wheat? He is inside a hole in the ground threshing the wheat, inside a wine press, a hole in the ground. And you think to yourself, how much wind is there? There is not much wind at all. Why is he in the wine press? He is in the wine press for the same reason all the people were hiding from the Midianites. They were in, as Dad read, they were in dens, they were in caves. And where is Gideon found? Gideon is hiding in the wine press. Why? Because Gideon is afraid. And so then the Lord comes to him and says, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon responds by saying this. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if... Now, if is a small word, but a significant word in this whole chapter. Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has this happened to us? And where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. There are three signs that Gideon is afraid at this moment. We know Gideon is afraid because Gideon has forgotten God's present goodness. He has forgotten God's present goodness in his suffering. In verse 13, he says, well, if you are with us, then why is all this happening? Why haven't you delivered us? Why haven't you protected us like you did our forefathers? You see, my dad used to sit us around a campfire and he used to tell us all these stories of your deliverance and yet here we are in this suffering. Where are you? The reason he is afraid is because he has forgotten God's goodness in his suffering. That happens to us, doesn't it? We think that only God is good when good things are happening to us. And when suffering is happening to us, we say, where are you, God? But the reality is, God is there in our good times, and God is also there in our bad times. Because God, in Romans 8, it tells us that God works out everything for the good of those who love Him, even, even our suffering. That is the theology of James 1. James 1 will tell us rejoice in our trials because our trials are doing something. 
they're producing a maturity in us as His people. Sometimes we only remember God's goodness when things are going good. But we should always remember God's goodness even when things are bad because God is always, always at work. Gideon is afraid because he's forgotten God's goodness. He is also afraid because all he is remembering is his own weakness. Verse 14, 15, and 16, what does he say? He says, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. Why would you call me? I cannot do it. And you kind of think to yourself, haven't we heard something like that before? You know, when the Lord was calling Moses, he's like, I can't speak. I can't do it. It's actually a theme. When God calls people, most people that God calls, they say no. Jeremiah's like, I can't go. He's like, I chose you before you were born. Take that. You have to go. This was planned before you were even alive, buddy. You need to go. And so there's this reality. Sometimes we get discouraged because we've said no to God. Listen, we're in a great line of history of people saying no to God. The problem is when people say no to God, guess who wins? God always wins. And so he's saying, no, I can't speak. I'm too weak. I'm, I, I, I can't do it. Have you ever focused on your own weakness instead of God's strength? I think we struggle with that. In fact, it's actually as prideful to brag about your strength as it is to focus on your weakness. Because if you're bragging about your strength, you're saying, I can do this without God. And if you're focusing on your weakness only, you're saying, God can't use a person like me. In both instances, you're doubting God. In both of them. And I don't know about you, but in this world, sometimes it feels like we're fighting a losing battle. And sometimes I can feel really weak in that losing battle, if I'm honest. You know, most people think, oh, just because, you know, he speaks up front, he, he can speak to everybody, there's, there's no problem. No, actually, actually, I need to be reminded that the Lord is with me all the time. A, 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 a long while ago, I was taking my car to the NCT. If you've ever done that, you know, you're taking your car to the NCT, you want to get it fixed. You go into that awkward room where everybody's kind of sitting around the circle. Nobody is talking. It is deathly silent. Everybody's got their phone out, and I went in prepared. I went in with my headphones. I went in, and you know what I was going to do? Something super spiritual. I was going to listen to a sermon. But in the room, in the room, I saw a local politician who's now a national politician, and I had corresponded with him over email. We had gone back and forth. And I felt this urge to go over and talk with him and share the gospel with him somehow. But I started to think to myself, goodness, this room is quiet. My goodness, this is going to be awkward if I get up. What happens if he turns away? What happens if he, you know, doesn't know me, doesn't remember our correspondence, doesn't do anything? Do you know what I did? Mighty man of valor. Put on the earphones, sat down, listened to my sermon, and made excuses. You ever done something like that? I get caught in that all the time. I wish I should have said this. I should have used that opportunity. I should have done that. We're kind of like Gideon. We're hiding in the wine press. 
We're kind of like God's people. We're hiding in the caves, hiding in the dens, afraid of this world, afraid to speak up. I wonder, like, that's one of the reasons I think we're afraid to, to share Christ with people. That's one of the reasons we're afraid to in, invite people into church and, and bring them along because we don't know how they will respond. We're, we're, we're kind of like Him. And what, we, what we're doing is the same as Gideon is doing. We're focusing on our weakness rather than upon God's strength. So Gideon says this to the Lord. <laughs> Gideon stands and he does the third thing. He says, right. He says, here's what I want you to do, Lord. Prove it. Prove it that you're going to be with me. There was a thing when I was younger with my friends. We used to always play tricks on each other. We never trusted each other, ever trusted each other. And there was a phrase we used to always say to each other, and it was that, prove it. If someone said something or said they were going to do something or said they had done something, we would say to them, prove it. And that's exactly what Gideon does to God. He says to the Lord, give me a sign. Prove it except for one thing. The angel of the Lord is standing there right next to him. And he's saying, prove it! I mean, if I was in the NCT test and the angel of the Lord says, go and talk to him, I'm pretty sure that's a sign at that point. And so here, in this moment, the angel of the Lord is with him. The angel of the Lord is speaking directly to him. And he's still saying, prove it. That's why I think sometimes even if the Lord was just to be in our, here in our midst, we'd make an excuse, we'd say something. And that's what Gideon does. You see, when Gideon asks for a sign, when Gideon asks for a sign, it is not a picture of his faith, it's actually a picture of his fear. Are you going to be with me? Prove it. If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign, he says in verse 15 or 17, that it is you who speak with me. So what Gideon asked was that I want you to stay here while I make a meal for you. And so Gideon, you know, went and made a meal for him. He made meat and he made unleavened cakes. I wonder what they taste like. He made unleavened cakes. And as he was making these things, the Lord, it says, the angel of the Lord got his staff, struck the rock, interesting language, struck the rock, and out came fire. Show me, he says, the Lord sets, sets the food on fire for him, proves it to him. And then later on, the Lord says these important words to him. In verse 23, it says this, but the Lord said to him, peace be to you, do not fear, you shall not die. You want a sign? I'm going to take my staff, I'm going to light the fire, I'm going to you know, set the cooker on for you and then you're going to know I'm with you. And then he says to him those important words, don't fear, you're not going to die. Why? Because this mighty man of valor is scared. God's not telling him who he is. God's telling him who he will be. So then God tells him, tonight, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to your father's place, and I want you to tear down the Baals, and the Asherah. I want you to go down and I want you to tear all his altars and idols. Don't leave any of them standing. You think to yourself, 
Wasn't that the dad? Wasn't Joash the dad who sat him down and told him all the stories of how good the Lord was and the deliverance of the Lord? And yet that very same dad who believed and trusted God and his mighty deliverance, that very same dad had idols standing up in his house. What were they doing? They didn't totally reject God. What they were doing is they were adding on idols to the worship of God. And so Gideon was called to go by the Lord and tear down all the idols because that's what God's people were supposed to do. They were not meant to leave the idols standing in the land. They were supposed to tear the idols down. And do you know what Gideon's response to this was? Verse 27. So Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord told him. He actually did. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. Because he was scared. He was afraid. You know the way he says, you know, I'm the, I'm the weakest clan. We're the weakest clan. You've got 10 servants. You're probably not all that weak back in the day if you've got 10 servants. That's like me saying, I'm really poor, but I drive in here with a Ferrari. Doesn't kind of make sense. He's saying, I have the weakest clan, but he has 10 servants. He brings his 10 servants with him because he's scared. He doesn't go by day. He goes by night because he is afraid to tear down these idols that are in his father's house. It is a fearful thing to tear down your idols. It is a fearful thing. Remember, before I was a Christian, um, it was my idols that were keeping me back from the Lord. It was my idols. I idolized my freedom. I didn't want to answer to anybody. Dad will tell you that. I didn't want to answer to anybody. I idolized my freedom. I wanted to be the king in my life. So I wanted to keep that altar up. I idolized my freedom. And not only my freedom, I also idolized my pleasure. I knew that if I followed after the Lord, I, Shane Dean, would have to give up some of my pleasures. In other words, I knew what it meant. I was going to have to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow Him daily, and I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to do it. It was my idols that were keeping me away from the Lord Jesus. Some of us are here this morning, and you don't trust Jesus. You don't love Him, and you don't live for Him. And all you want to do is keep up your idols. And you think, the lie of the idol is this. The idol says, I will satisfy you. The idol does that for just a moment, but after a while you realize it will never satisfy. It won't give me what I want. The pleasure of this world will only last a moment until it fades away. And what I realized when I gave up some of my idols, because I'm still struggling against a lot of them, it's still a battle. When I gave up some of my idols, what I noticed is this. When Jesus came to me, He said this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, you're never going to hunger again. 
Jesus says, I am the living water. If you come to me, you are never going to thirst again. And when I trusted in him, the moment I trusted in him, I knew I'd found the answer. This guy, he is the one who truly satisfies. And after I became a Christian, what happened? The idols, they're still there. The Lord is still working on me. The Lord is still helping me, along with God's people, to tear down the idols that I have in my life. Whether it's materialism, or my time, or my pleasure, or whatever that idol is, the Lord is helping me still tear them down. And I would encourage you, brothers and sisters, don't leave them standing. That was the problem for God's people. It wasn't necessarily that they ran away from God. It was that they added more gods to him because they thought he was not good enough. So Gideon was afraid. And in his fear, he went at nighttime to tear down all the altars and all the idols. And he did that. He didn't walk past the idols as Ehud did. He actually went and tore them down at night like he was meant to do according to the law. And after he tore down all the idols, all the men of the town, they said, we know who it is. It's Gideon. Gideon is the one who's responsible for tearing down all these altars. And they went to his dad, Joash, and Joash said this to them. You know, they said to Joash, Joash, he's tore down the bales. He's tore down the Asherah. We need to get him. And then Joash, the father, said this to them, let Baal defend himself. If Baal is really God then let him defend himself. He can look after himself. If his idol is torn down, let him, let him stand his own idol back up. And they gave Gideon the nickname Jeroboam, which means let Baal defend himself. And what do we all know? Baal's not going to defend himself. So finally, you would think, you would think, Gideon must be ready for the battle now. Like, surely he's ready for the battle now. And at the end of, near the end of the chapter, it says in verse 35, Now all the, uh, all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together, and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But um, the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and the Abyssalites were called out to follow him, and he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh. They too were called out to follow him, and he sent messengers to Asherah, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they went up to meet them. So you think to yourself, now Gideon is ready. Gideon has been called mighty man of valor. The Lord has come to him and said, mighty man of valor. Then Gideon has been given a sign. Then Gideon has been told, do not be afraid. Then the Lord was with Gideon when he tore down all the idols and the Lord protected him. Then the Holy Spirit came upon Gideon and clothed Gideon ready for the battle. Then all of the army came and were surrounding him and with him, and now he is ready finally to fight Midian, except for one thing. He comes to God one more time and says to God, you're going to be with me, prove it. Show me you're going to be with me. So he says this in verse 36, then Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, if 
If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I'm laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. You see, there was a threshing floor. And if there is dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. Here's what I'm going to do, God. Here's what I'm going to do. The fire wasn't enough. I I need one more sign. I need you, God, to prove it one more time. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get a fleece of wool. I'm going to put it out in the middle of the night. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what, in a place that probably doesn't rain much, right? Here's what I want you to do. God, make that fleece soaking wet. And the rest of the ground on the threshing floor, God, I want you to make that dry. And he goes to bed thinking, never going to happen. I'm getting out of this. And then it says in verse 38, and it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl of water. You can imagine him. He wakes up early in the morning. He goes like, there's no way. And he starts wringing that thing out. And what happens? Water comes. God gave him the sign. He's asking for a sign, not as a sign of his faith, but actually as a sign of his fear. So then he says, right, I know what I'm going to do. I know what I'm going to do. God, I want you to prove it again. So here's what I'm going to do. This time, you're never going to do this. I want you to make the fleece absolutely bone dry and the ground around it soaking wet. And if you do that, then, Lord, I'll know that you are with me. Verse 39. And Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. He knows what he's asking is not right. Let me speak just one more time. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only and all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. And it was dry on the fleece only. And on all the ground there was dew. And Gideon says, oh, no, I really didn't want to do that. I thought there was no way this was going to happen. The Lord says, you want proof? I am with you. I can make fire, and I can make water, and I can make things dry, and I can make things wet. But you're going to go, mighty man of valor, You're going to go whether you like it or not because I am going to be with you. Sometimes we say things like this. We need to put out a fleece for the Lord. I need a a sign from the Lord so that the Lord can show me. I don't want to condemn you if you've ever done that. But actually, that's not what we need to do. We don't need to ask the Lord for any more signs. The Lord, He has done it. The Lord, He has shown us Jesus Christ. The reason Gideon is afraid is because Gideon believes that the Lord is not with him. He has believed the lie that the Lord isn't with him. Do you remember when they were told, you know, when you go into the land and when you see all the chariots and you see all of them, 
don't be afraid. But the reason why they were not to be afraid was this. Do not be afraid because the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, when you see all the chariots, don't be afraid because the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt will be what? Will be with you. When Joshua was going into the land, the Lord said to Joshua, do not be terrified, do not be discouraged. Why? Because the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. When the Lord came and when the Lord spoke to um, Gideon, the Lord said to him, not only did the Lord call him mighty man of valor, but when the Lord spoke the first words in the passage, what did the Lord say? The Lord said this, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Do you know why we're so afraid? I think it's this, we forget that the Lord is with us. And so we give Him tests, we put out signs, we do all of this stuff, maybe even well-meaning, because we forget that the Lord, He is with us. And He proved it. The beginning of Matthew's account, He said, there will be one born, and His name will be Emmanuel, which means... God with us. And at the end of Matthew, the Lord, the resurrected Jesus, with all authority, comes to us and He says, go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. And you say, Lord, that's too scary. I don't want to talk to anyone. Leave me alone, Lord. Give me a, give me a sign that I should tell someone about Jesus. Let me get my jumper, and if my jumper is wet in the morning, then I'm going to tell them, then I'm going to tell them and work about Jesus. And then we wake up in the morning, it's soaked. And then you say, let me get my jumper, let me throw it out, and if the jumper is dry in the morning, then I'll tell people about Jesus. No, what Jesus said is this, go baptize them, teach them, make disciples. And what did he say? What sign did he give us? He said this, I will be with you always. You see, I believe in a God who says, I will never leave you and never forsake you. I believe that's true. So we don't need jumpers or fleeces or wet things or dry things. We don't need more signs. For the Lord has proved it already. Jesus rose from the dead. So what's, Gideon gonna, what's the Lord going to do with this guy Gideon? How is he going to save through this weak fella, this scared fella, this guy who keeps asking for signs? You know what the Lord is going to do with this weak guy? The Lord is going to make Gideon weaker, and the Lord is going to get all glory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that we would remember that you are with us that you are Emmanuel, and we need not fear. And so, Lord, I pray that we will remember when we go into our workplace, when we go into our schools, when we go into those places that we are scared to be as Christians, Lord, I pray that we would remember you are with us. I pray, Lord, that we would be a people who need no more signs than simply the resurrected Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that we'll have a special sense of your presence with us as we go from this place, 
knowing that you are Emmanuel, God with us.